welcome to episode three of Real Life with the Tina Twist. Today I'm going to talk about courage and fear and confidence and really the interplay between all of these things. And if you join me for episode one, you'll know I talked about being brave to write your own story and live your life regardless of societal norms or expectations. I also talked about how easy it is to say and really how difficult it is to do in reality. Social norms and societal expectations run deep, super deep. So we'll talk today about this topic of being brave or courageous a bit more. So here are a few areas we're going to explore today, each with a story of my experience and my learnings when I used courage to help build my own confidence in an effort to help inspire you. And that's what this podcast is all about. So first, we'll talk about building confidence in public speaking or presentations. And then we'll dive into courage in building your professional network, which is something most people, myself included, have a hard time with. And then we'll wrap up with courage in following your path, even when it goes against societal norms. So let's move to public speaking or presentations first. It's one of my favorite topics because it has been a lifelong journey for me, and I'll talk to you about that. So you may not believe me. Here I am on a podcast sticking my face on YouTube, Uh, but I used to get physically ill sick to my stomach when I had to do a big presentation, when I had to put myself out there. Uh, I was quite honestly terrified. Uh, I'd present and I'd do my best not to shake so much that it distracted my audience, you know, the hands shaking and my legs quivering. Um, And I was terrified even when I knew my content cold. So this was a a reaction of my body to the experience that I, I really had to work many years to overcome. So I want to tell you a little bit how I did that if this is a story that you're thinking, oh, that sounds like me. <laughs> so today, I mean, not to not to make it sound like I snapped my fingers and all of this became super easy. I still get nervous sometimes, um, but I'm able to present confidently and, and comfortably to audience of, audiences of five or 500 or 5,000. And I'll talk to you about what changed. So a few things, uh, preparation and practice, preparation and practice for many years. So I would, and I still do sometimes rehearse my presentations in the mirror. I would that here at home, usually not at work, uh, over and over again. And that wasn't just because I like looking in the mirror at myself, not actually true. Um, But that was to make sure the flow and the way I was communicating was how I had intended and how I had pictured it in my head. Uh, You could do this if you have a video camera, even just use your phone, like set your phone up um, to record you and then play it back. Again, you're doing it for you. You're not doing it in front of an audience. And it's a chance for you to look at it and go, is that what I imagined? Is that what I wanted to convey to my audience? Or is there something maybe I could change? Um, remember to be kind to yourself too, though. It's not a judgment time when you're either looking in the mirror and practicing or you're recording and viewing it back. It's a chance to say, okay, is this how I wanted to show up? Or is there something a bit different that I want to change, but still be me? Okay. So this isn't about you becoming some other human being. It's about you still showing up as you, but communicating the message that you really wanted to communicate. 
So a few other things I would do, and hopefully this helps you. This isn't something I do anymore, um, but it definitely helped me when I, I just knew that I would have to really be able to control my nerves. So I would go into the office on the weekend before my presentation by myself, uh, and I would stand in the room where I was going to present, and I would practice my presentation as if the audience was there. So I would imagine the audience of people I would be presenting to, and I would rehearse. And so when the actual day came, I was very confident because I was able to, you know, the real human beings were in the room instead of how I imagined them. And it was just quite easy and comfortable for me to be able to, to do the job I came to do instead of having to also fight those nerves at the same time. Uh, I did this for years and it worked really well for me. Uh, so if it works for you too, that's perfect. Uh, over time, I'd say my confidence built, right? I did this over and over and over again. And, and really, we'll talk about some of the tips overall and building confidence at the very end today. But I wanted to just say that, you know, it, over time, sometimes it was my confidence built because I was asking myself the question, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? I've practiced. I know my content. I'm comfortable with the way I'm planning to deliver it. I've practiced and practiced. And the worst thing that can go wrong is that maybe I lose my train of thought or yeah, maybe, you know what, I am a bit more nervous than I wanted to show up as, but if I'm still able to communicate what I came to communicate, it's still a win. And there are human beings sitting around the table as well, right? So I'm not presenting to robots. I'm presenting to humans who may have been in my shoes before as well. The second thing that I've done, so that was all about preparation and practice, right? And I can't convey it enough. I'd say that's been the biggest confidence builder was preparing, practicing. I did do formal training as well. Uh, not a lot of it, uh, but I did go on a three-day course with an excellent organization. They're based in Ottawa. So if you're a Canadian or you're, you have access to Ottawa somehow, um, I'll put a link in for any locals and I'll, I'll share that organization with you. It was a really safe space for me to get to get to learn how to communicate to an audience, how to overcome some of the things that were getting me stuck and things that were causing me to be afraid and not communicate the message I wanted to. And the main lesson I took from it, amongst many others, was that the audience it usually was me being really nervous presenting to people more senior than me in the organization. And the key lesson I had was at the time anyway, well, these people are most likely just more experienced than you, Tina. <laughs> so they're not coming to judge. They are coming in with a lens of, let me help you. And let me understand what you're planning, where, you're, um, where your thoughts are going, and see if we can help to improve business plans or to improve the direction of travel so that our business can be as successful as it possibly can be. And so that piece of advice that, you know, these people are more senior than you, older than you, just more experienced than you, but it didn't take away from the fact that I was, you know, I had a seat at the table that has helped me in a number of different occasions. So I'm sharing it with you here. If that helps you. I'm going to move on and talk about courage in building professional networks. So this is a big one. I talked at the beginning how, honestly, I still find it challenging, but I'm going to tell you why I, and how I do it anyway. <laughs> so in episode one, you'll remember that I said, 
I've never been told no when I have asked for 30 minutes of someone's time, even 15 minutes, depending on what it is you want to ask them. I have had, I've reached out to very senior people to say, I would just love to know how you got there. I'd love to learn more about your story and understand your path. And the very worst thing that has happened to me, and it has, I've never been told no, but sometimes I don't get an answer. And when I've, I've followed up, because that's who I am, followed up to say, yeah, just making sure, often it's that the email inbox is just overflowing, right? So it got missed. So don't, uh, don't take it too personally. So here's how I build my professional network at work. I have a list and we're still in Belgium. We're still working from home most of the time here. So it sits next to my desk at home and it's a list of people that I'm holding myself accountable to reach out to. And it sits right next to my monitor. In fact, I can just see it out of the corner of my eye right now. And it keeps me accountable for reaching out to the people that I've committed to myself that I will. Uh, These are people that might help me in my career journey in terms of my progression. Or they're people that I think could have an interesting story to tell and help me learn more about how to do certain elements of my job. Or have done things that I'm doing and I want to bounce some ideas off of. But they're all strangers to me, <laughs> more, or, more or less. And so I will send an email. And sometimes it takes me a week to send that email, sometimes two weeks. Sometimes that person sits on my list for longer than I want them to without a nice big red check mark next to their name. Um, but that list is what holds me accountable. And what puts me into a place of pressing send on that email of, hey, can I have you know 30 minutes of your time? And here's why is uh, actually something that my husband has taught me and it's called 30 seconds of courage. And so when you think about it, how much courage does it take for you to actually send that email? It takes less than 30 seconds, right? Sure, you have to draft it and maybe that's where the procrastination sets in. But once you've made up your mind that you're going to send that introductory email and ask for time, it takes you five seconds to press send. And then when it's gone, it's out of your hands. Uh, It is absolutely magical. And then when the responses come back, they usually say, wow, thanks so much for reaching out. I'd love to connect. Almost always. Almost always. Then sometimes you don't get that connection for three or four months and that's still okay. So send the email. Just do it. And ask yourself, what's the worst thing that can happen? Worst thing that can happen is they'll say no that's okay. Maybe it wasn't meant to be. Find somebody else you can reach out to. It's all good. The last piece I wanted to talk about today is the courage to follow your path even when it goes against societal norms. And what that's looked like to me has been people telling me I'm crazy. Yes, so many times. Tina, you're crazy. You're crazy. Which usually has an underlying message of I can never do what you're doing. You're crazy, I could never do that, is a common sentence I've heard. Or just, you're crazy. (laughs) But this societal norm deviation also comes from, or comes out as, wow, you can't. I don't think you can. You can't, you can't do that. You can't. What about, fill in the blank. What about the children? What about your husband? What about, 
What about your story? So for people that know me well, you'll laugh at this, you can't, because you know that my personal reaction to being told I can't is, watch me. (laughs) Watch me do it. Don't tell me I can't. But in all seriousness, this one takes the most courage. So you can, you know, we talked about presentations and courage. You can overcome that. You can, um, you can practice. You can use some of the pointers I gave you today. When it comes to courage and reaching out and networking, holding yourself accountable, you can do that, right? You can press send on those emails. Um, it, the harder part is when you're going against the grain or swimming upstream and People who are close to you are telling you you're crazy or you can't. And so I wanted to dissect just a bit for you what I've experienced in um, hearing you're crazy and, uh, and you can't. The you're crazy is my reaction to that statement now is, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I am, but I'm going to give it a try anyway. And my ask of people is, you know what? Will you be there to listen if I fail? And it's usually people closest to me who are saying you can't or, you know, you're crazy. And of course, they'll be there if I fail. So the first time I was told I was crazy and I couldn't um, was before I moved to Japan alone. I was 22 years old and uh, someone quite close to me in my family said, you can't move to Japan on your own. Um And it was the first time I said, yeah, watch me (laughs) in a big way. Um, And, you know, if I had listened to that person, um, there are a lot of things I would have missed, right? So if I hadn't moved to Japan, my life would have been really different. Uh, By doing so, I fell in love with traveling and learning about different cultures and seeing the world. I learned to speak Japanese, which is a beautiful and culturally rich language. And most importantly, I met the guy who would become the father of my three kids, my best friend and my husband. Of course, that didn't happen in Japan. um, But had I never gone, I never would have met him. So no promises to you that if you decide that moving around the world is your jam too, that you'll find your spouse. But uh, (laughs) that's my story. And uh, had I never taken that chance and had I listened to the person who told me I couldn't, then... um, my life would be very different. So what can you take from all this, right? Some more storytelling from me. Um, I want to talk to, just as we close the episode today, with some questions that that you could ask yourself if you're feeling afraid, which happens to us all, or you need to find the courage to do something. Two questions I ask myself. The first one is, what is the worst thing that can happen? And really go there. So don't skim over it. Go there and identify it. Name it. Write it down. What is the worst thing that can happen? You'll find that it usually isn't that bad, right? Life will go on even if your presentation does not go as planned or even if you're super nervous and maybe you stumble over your words or you're shaking or your voice is shaking even though the rest of you is totally in control. Your career won't end. And life will go on and it will be okay. And you'll learn from it. The other question I ask myself is, what would I miss out on if I don't do this thing? Or will what would I regret if I didn't do it? 
Um, is it career advancement or career enjoyment, enjoyment out of life? Is it an opportunity that seems really scary, but could definitely be worth it if it went well? What would you miss out on if you didn't do this thing? What would you regret? Those are the two questions I ask myself and as you know, in alignment with our North star that I talked about in the first episode, and that's how we make decisions at home. It's how we make decisions about what to do next or how to move forward in my career. We also use those questions in our personal life. So something I'll leave you with today that I would love to hear from you on um, is what would courage look like for you this week? So let's break it down, right? We've talked about big things, big presentations, big life decisions, potentially life-changing decisions. Networking, that's something you can totally get moving on this week, right? So what would courage look like for you this week? You don't have to tell me, but if you do want to tell me, you can send me an email. And thank you to those of you who have reached out already. So the email address is tinagravespodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us through our social network channels uh, through going to our website at tinagraves.org. With courage comes confidence. I know it's easy to say, and it takes years of practice years of putting yourself out there, doing it anyway, even if you're afraid, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And the better you can apply that courageous feeling to the next situation where you're feeling afraid, but you know it's going to be okay. The more you overcome that feeling of fear and you enter into situations with courage, the more your confidence will build overall, both at work and in the rest of your life. This is all about consistent steps towards a more courageous life, and it's all in your control. Until next time, take care, stay safe, and live your life with a twist. <laughs>